Happy New Year, and welcome to year two of the Adventuring for Mere Mortals podcast with your co-hosts, Kyle and Trevor. To kick off the new year, Trevor decided that we should probably find some legal counsel to advise us. So how about you introduce our guest? <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. I, I could do that. So our guest this month is uh, Daniel Out of Order Alvarez. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's one of the co-hosts, uh, one of the other co-hosts of the trail show. So we had POD on six, seven months ago, but yeah, he's a, he's a long distance kayaker. We're going to talk about that a lot. I have a feeling, uh, also a long distance hiker. He's done the triple crown in the U S he did the kind of insane North to South of Europe, like the, high, the most Northern point yeah. nearest to the Southern <laughs> point, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you'll do a much better, uh, job of, um, talking about yourself than I will. So, uh, yeah, Daniel, just, uh, give us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So my background definitely in adventuring. Um, first I am a mere mortal, so I fit in <laughs> with the podcast. Uh, but my background really starts, you know, in the long distance hiking world with, you know, the classic Appalachian trail as your first long distance trail and then expanding out to the rest of the triple crown. Um, then doing a few uh, smaller trails like the Hayduke and the Grand Enchantment Trail. And then um, I got tired of hiking, so I wanted a different challenge. So I got a kayak and <laughs> paddled uh, from the northern tip of Minnesota down to Key West. And then when I got to Key West, I thought this is one time in my life where I have a kayak and all the equipment I need to paddle across the country. So I should go back. So I went back uh, going kind of up. <laughs> The other way, there's like you can take the Mississippi down and then the Atlantic coast up, um, and then a whole lot of other rivers and lakes in between. But uh, so that was a very long tra- trip. It was about 203 or no, 503 days. Um, and then I, after that, the last trip I've done is a hike across Europe from the northern tip of Norway to the southern tip in Spain. Um, which took just under a year. So, yeah, and now I've got like a real job doing environmental law, so <laughs> a little less <laughs> adventurous, but still equally uh, tedious and frustrating at times. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're a mere mortal with that resume. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive, dude, for sure. Uh, you just take them one day at a time, and eventually you get wherever you're going. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. good. That's a good uh, mentality to have for that thing. But before we really jump in, let's let's do a little bit of our catch up, real quick. So, Kyle, what have you been up to, man? Uh, started the new job, uh, doing all the house things. Kind of crazy that you make a huge purchase based on, you know, a very limited inspection and review of a place, <laughs> and then and then you I buy it. That. Yeah, and then you sit I there. I totally and you're, feel that. <laughs> and you like stare at a wall, and you're like. What the hell is that? What did they do there? And then, you know, I can't let it go. So I have to investigate. 
This is why we're I friends. Mean, I feel it's, it's crazy, right? For months. <laughs> like I spent more time thinking about a pair of shoes, like and researching it, than I did buying a house. Yeah, <laughs> Looking at the shoe, <laughs> let me t- I'm gonna take three looks at it. I only looked at this house like two times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exploring the state parks around here. So the one cool thing about the Commonwealth of uh, Pennsylvania is that a while back they made an initiative that they wanted a state park within 25 miles of every resident. Oh, um, that's a that really cool there's idea. A, there's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that. What about you, Trav? Did you make it? I mean, obviously you made it through the holidays and everything. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been doing much outdoorsy stuff at all. So, like, I finally had to go offshore for my, my job. And I was out there for two weeks over Christmas and New Year's. So that's what every person wants to do. But <laughs> yeah, out there for whole two weeks out on the ship and getting used to, like, ship life. The most annoying thing is I'm too tall to run in the gym. So they have treadmills in this gym and the roof in the gym's probably like seven and a half feet or so. And it's one of those really thick treadmills. And I stand on the treadmill and I've got about an inch and a half on top of my head. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not running. So luckily they have some like spin bikes. So I just bike, 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 bike to get a little cardio. But yeah, just doing holiday stuff. So we ended up doing like Christmas with my wife and kids before we left and then i just did with my family uh actually yeah two days ago last weekend okay so, so you did get to see your niece opening christmas presents because that yes, was i did she loved the wrapping paper which was kind of amazing she did <laughs> yeah she's doing the same thing here it was good it was yeah it's not ideal but hey it's a job it pays me money but what about you triple o what have you been up to man Oh man, just a lot of house stuff. I build. I'm trying to build some furniture, and I'm not a woodworker at all. So I'm managing <laughs> to create like mountains of sawdust and not much furniture to come out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then just a, a fair amount of just work. I'm um, doing a lot of, of interesting environmental law stuff, trying to stop climate change piece by piece. Actually, uh, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about EVs <laughs> since I know yeah. that, uh, <laughs> well, you didn't mention it in your update, but I know you're taking some pinup pictures of a certain EV. <laughs> yeah, I've got my Rivian. <laughs> I, I'm trying to limit how much I post about my Rivian on my, my personal Instagram page because I know people will just get annoyed with it. But yeah, I love that truck. <laughs> it's It's great. It's so much fun to drive. And like the... And I thought it was going to be more of like a big adjustment to like switch over in from like an ICE vehicle to an EV, but it actually wasn't that bad at all. It's just like a little That's bit of great. extra planning on long trips and it's good to go. So much fun yeah, to drive. Well, I mean, it's a lot quiet. of the work we do is about EV adoption and stuff. And so it's yeah. always good to hear people who have good experiences. Um, we just need a better charging network in the U.S. So you don't even have to think about it. So like, yeah. if I'm, like I drove to California and back and I was like, okay, I can get to this charger. And then while I'm at that charger, I'm planning, like how much charge do I need to get to the next charger? But that's, yeah. on, that's on the interstates. When you get off the interstates, it gets even harder. So I'm like, yeah, we got to do better house. for us. It's getting out into the wild and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a big, a big deal. Agreed. But. All right, this is an EV podcast, but I could talk. I need to start another <laughs> podcast about EVs. But yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should talk after this. <laughs> we should start an EV yeah, podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. 
You heard it. Hey, it's all related. Stuff. It's all related. You know, we yeah, have a lot really of adventures are outside. I mean, EV EVs have great emissions. I mean, no emissions. So yeah, you know, it's an important aspect of adventuring, right? You got to protect these places that we love to be in, and you know, EV adoption is part of protecting them. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. But okay, so I guess we'll get into our main main topic, and I guess a good way to start that out is. How how did you start doing outdoorsy adventure things? Like, where did you get your start? Yeah, so, I mean, I always blame my mom. Um, she is, <laughs> her dad was a forester in Colorado, I think, at some point in his life. He, he was also like a high school wrestling coach, but uh, he, he always used to drag the family out. They were not that well off. So they used to go, you know, camping and, and traveling. So my mom always had like a big outdoors angle to her. And my mom used to drag me when I was a little kid onto like into relatively insane hikes, like across the Grand Canyon. And I still remember, um, like where I kind of like, at least my origin story in my mind starts is that when my mom like let's cross the grand canyon and of course i had never seen the grand canyon i was like 10 years old and we get to it and we look across and i'm like there's no way i'm like are you insane like, <laughs> the canyon is an insane looking place when you first see it um and so i refused to go and my mom had been planning because you gotta get permits for the grand canyon like months in advance and my mom had been planning this and we're from florida so it's not like in our backyard we had to like go across the country um, and she was like, well, if you don't want to do it, then you can just stay here. I'm going to go alone. I'll leave you some money. You can just buy food and you can sleep in the car. I was like 10 years old. <laughs> and then I got scared that she was really going to leave me. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll go. <laughs> and then we did. And it was great. And it, it was like really the first time you had that feeling that you get with long distance hiking, which is like, you look back and you see where you came from and it's like, feels so far away. And you're amazed that you're able to 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 um cross that kind of distance and so i think that's really where it started and you know just since then it's just kind of gotten a little bigger every time but um yeah i really blame my mom my dad also took me out but he was usually much more conservative about what he was going to do <laughs> <laughs> a couple of years after that grand canyon my mom actually t couldn't get the permit so she made us try and hike across in a single day Oof. and she wouldn't even, she didn't even tell my dad she we, there's a telephone down at the bottom at this place called phantom ranch where they the mules yeah. come in and and the first time we told my dad we were doing it was we called him from the telephone and like, guess where we are <laughs> we're hiking across it in a day my dad you know <laughs> probably his blood pressure went up a little yeah. bit but we made it so it was it was all good that's awesome <laughs> Yeah, in a yeah. day, that's that's rough. Like, what was that, Kyle? Like three, four years ago, we did the rim to rim to rim, and I think we did that in three days. And uh, some of the crew yeah. that was with us was thought I was being a little aggressive with my planning for the three yeah. days. That was no, that was three years ago. Was it three? Yeah. It's and the canyon. I mean, those are not easy miles. You're going no, not at all. Really hard down or up. Yeah, you, you mentioned the the uh i'll call it amazement of like looking how far you've come after after you yeah. hike whatever distance and i guess i just kind of had a realization 
because my wife is not big into hiking and she's like, why do you enjoy it? And I think that's actually one of the things is like looking back and see how far you've came. Or if you hike to the top of a mountain, you're like, wow, I can't, can I see the car I came from? That yeah. type of stuff. And that's, yeah. It's kind of amazing how far you can go and how, yeah. and how short of a time you get far away. Like it looks like yeah. some of those mountain peaks look incredibly far away. You realize they're only a couple of hours of hiking away. Yeah. It's just one step it's, at a time. Yeah. Yeah. It's the steady, the steady thing. I think, you know, that happened with the group on the foothills trail. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we walked for five days and then had to drive. What was it? An hour and a half. Maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Back. No. Yeah. I mean, it puts it in perspective how quickly you can get around in a car. Yeah, that's true yeah. too. And and how much you just blow past. Mm-hmm. How much you miss. You don't see any details because everything's whizzing by at seventy miles yeah. an hour. I used to tell this um, uh, when I on the kayak trip, I ended up giving a few talks. And I used to tell people like one of the things I like is that slowness, right? That you mm-hmm. you see so much more of what you're traveling through when you're on foot or on a kayak. But like the lines on a highway, you know, like this, you know, the lane dividers where it's like a dashes and you think like how, how long those lines are, you think they're like a foot long, but they're actually like (laughs) six or seven feet long. I forget how far they're like significantly long, but you don't even realize it's flying so fast down the road. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, But yeah, you do see so much more when you go slowly through a place. Yeah, so that kayak trip, I'm interested. How did you conceive this idea? Was it just like, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> coming from like the long distance hiking world, I was like, well, what else can I do? And I thought maybe I can hike from the northern tip of the US to the southern tip of the US. And then I started to look at it and it seemed like there was way more interesting water than land in in that region, like between Florida and Minnesota. Um, so I was like, well, let me, let me see if I can connect it. Right. Cause you gotta, you gotta, uh, like a, a boat is not like a backpack. It's very difficult mm-hmm. to get across land. So you can't like, <laughs> you have to, you have to minimize the gaps where you're not floating the boat and you're carrying it. Yeah. Um, but it turns out, you know, once you start doing research at first, like, you know, you get to the northernmost point, you're like, well, how can I get to the Mississippi River? Because I figured the Mississippi River was the easiest way to get south, right? Because you mm-hmm. even have the current with you, which is sort of true. And it was what I thought, but it's sort of true in some places. Um, and then you end up starting to find all these things, like uh, like the all the fur trading routes through like the Boundary Waters, northern Minnesota area, mm-hmm. uh, which I think one of you has been to the boundary waters before right and it's it's me yeah it's a really cool and interesting area like in all like the portage paths and like the routes and the whole border up there is actually it turns out to is the is the the path of least resistance basically um and both the u.s and at the time uh the british wanted to be able to use that route so that's why they agreed that that's where the border would be so the actual u.s canada border through that area is the easiest path between lake of the woods where the northernmost tip of minnesota is and lake superior because those were all the it was like the highway of the fur trade um mm-hmm. and so you're able to get as long to lake as the superior. winds cooperate 
Yeah, yeah. No. That's, that's one of the biggest differences between hiking and kayaking is that sometimes the wind says no, and you just gotta be okay. I guess we're not going anywhere today. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So then you get to Lake Superior, and then you can get to the Mississippi River through another uh, old fur trading route through there. That's very unused at this point, but it's, it exists. Um, and then once you're on the Mississippi, it's pretty much a straight shot to the Gulf of Mexico for, to the, I mean, I didn't go all the way to the end of the Mississippi. I, I went over an, another portage through New Orleans to kind of cut off to the, to head East and then mm. followed the coast. Um, but yeah, that was the, where the concept came from. Just let me see what the Northern tip of the U S is and the Southern tip and see if you can connect them. Wow. Um, yeah. And then so, the, the concept to go back actually started on the way down. Someone, while well, I was in the Boundary Waters or Lake Superior, they're like, well, are you going out like the St. Lawrence River and then going down the East Coast? And I was like, wait, that's a possibility. <laughs> and then I started looking at the map. I was like, wow, you could do that. And so uh, I didn't end up going back through the St. Lawrence. I went up through the, uh, to New York and then up the Hudson and then over to Montreal. And then from Montreal, you basically just follow the whole fur trading route back. So through mm -hmm. the Ottawa and Mattawa rivers and then Lake Huron, Lake Superior. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, was a, it was a wild trip. I, I think it's, it's really interesting when you go by water because you end up seeing a lot more civilization because our civilization is so based mm -hmm. on water. Cause, and you can tell like how easy it is to travel on water versus land when there's no trails or anything and you can see this is why we built the cities along all the yeah. rivers and <laughs> everything's there a lot more history than mountaintops have so when you were thinking about this did, did you have like previous kayaking experience at all i had very minimal kayaking experience i had Kayak. Wow. I had taken a whitewater class for like a week and then never really followed up on it much because mm -hmm. um, I was in Florida. So it was like, there's not a lot of whitewater yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a single rapid on one river and then like a barely a rapid on another river. Um, so anyway, and then I had sea kayak like little day things around Florida mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, not in like the real sea kayaks but like in sit on tops that you kind of paddle around um so no i hadn't kayaked much uh but i figured i would pick it up along the way and i did i was pretty good by the end at, at the beginning oh, I, you would have to be <laughs> didn't know what i was doing <laughs> um yeah um i figured that as i because i went the first part you're on little lakes so i felt like that would be a good place to learn and mm -hmm. then you get to lake superior and at the time i didn't realize this but lake superior is actually like super dangerous lake unless you really yeah know i was gonna say because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so cold right you got about yeah. maybe five to ten minutes at most if you fall into the water well you're still going to be able to function um mm -hmm. to try and get yourself back out uh, but luckily i never flipped on the whole trip the closest i came was in tampa bay but um, the water wasn't that cold, so it wouldn't have been the end of the world, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, it's, guess, it's a skill you pick up. <laughs> I guess that's another question. So that's a lot of different types of water and mm -hmm. I, I have very limited experience and expertise with kayaks, but don't, aren't there like different types of kayaks or different types of water? 
Like I yes. couldn't imagine going on a small <laughs> kayak out in the ocean. That would sound there terrifying. Are, there are definitely okay. different. Like I basically I did the whole trip in one. So it was a sea kayak. It's like a I think it was about seventeen oh, okay. feet. Um, oh okay. Because it was the most kind of because I wanted the best boat for the most dangerous water. <laughs> basically, yeah, like, which is, yeah. when you're in the ocean or Lake Superior, which might as well be an ocean. Um, you want to be in the the boat that can handle that water the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I didn't take it down any rapids, so it wasn't like I needed a, a whitewater boat that's very maneuverable, right? The short ones can turn really fast, but they don't mm-hmm. go straight very easily. Um, okay. Whereas the long ones are good for going straight and long distances and like cutting through waves. Um, and then like really in the boundary waters, as, as Kyle, I'm sure understands, is like canoes are better because they're easier to portage. It's easier to unload your equipment, take it across, load it back up because you have the open top. But um, I managed with the kayak. It wasn't great in a few places, especially there's there's like a, the Grand Portage, which is the last portage in Lake Superior is six miles long. So <laughs> that one was a, a beast. It's six miles, but I can't carry everything in one trip. So it really turned, it t- I could get all my gear in one and then my kayak in one. So you end up going three times, right? Or three times the distance because you have to take the first, you take the boat, you go back for the gear, and then you take the gear. So it ended up being like 18 miles of walking to get the stuff down to the shore. That's a whole and, day. But, oh, yeah. It took a whole day. <laughs> I camped, actually, I, I think I camped, if I remember right, I camped on the trail. All right. It took me like the end of a day and then a whole day the next day to get down. But uh, yeah, there were some other great portages. Um, that were like kind of lost to time because some of these routes are not really used anymore, but they were used. Mm -hmm. Like they were basically highways at one point in time. Um, And I remember there was one uh, that connects like Lake Superior, Lake Superior to the boundary waters, but a different route that goes through Thunder Bay, which is just North of Mm -hmm. Grand Portage. Um, they had to switch to that route once there was some dispute over who could use the Grand Portage because the Grand Portage itself is technically in the U.S. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we can't, we're going to get taxed. So we got to go through Thunder Bay. Um, and this route is like hardly ever used. The trail is not even there really. But like when I went that way, I was like, well, let me try this other way because it'd be interesting to see. And I was following like the directions, like it was go to this lake and then this lake and this lake and you could follow it from like the old like diaries basically mm-hmm. and when i got to one of these lakes at one point there was no trail or anything but i i knew they had to get to this other lake and so i kept looking around eventually you could find you found i found the like ground where it had been pressed you know you could see like a slight oh. indent and there were trees growing up through it and everything but you could see like way back through time they had enough people had walked through this it was still visible um and it's, I don't know, it's really neat to see that kind of history. On, on That was one of my favorite moments is, is finding that old path and being like, oh, this is definitely the, the path. You can see it. You can see it in the dirt. Um, That's like whenever I saw the connected. Oregon Trail, the actual <laughs> yeah. wagon tracks, and you don't think about yeah. it. You're like, holy crap. That's like, that's the volume of people that went across it. It's wild, right? Like yes. this little like impression in the earth. Can you imagine like all the stories that came through all like the people oh, with yeah. their hopes and dreams and like especially on the Oregon Trail you got families moving out there yeah. their whole <laughs> everything they own it's it's crazy to think about 
so so where were you finding these like you, you said mentioned diary entries for like these old <laughs> fur trade paths now i don't remember where I, I i mean i got a couple books about like the fur trade and the boundary waters and i think it was just in either in one of them or just like internet research or just like how they because you know they had like descriptions of where they went what lakes to mm-hmm. what lakes and stuff um but i don't remember exactly where i found that one but like there's some pretty good history books about that area okay. just because people really like i mean the boundary waters is a very popular canoe area so mm-hmm. and um people just love it so people like to dig into the history there that's cool yeah it's it's i don't know i, I really found that the kayaking trip had tons of history. I mean, you get that area has its own like fur trading history. Then you get the Mississippi River, and like you realize that the Mississippi to this day is still like a gigantic artery of commerce because you yeah. got like these barges and stuff going up with like goods. And each barge, like these barges are pushed by tugboats and they like strap them all together. And like one of these boats is as big as like a super Walmart basically moving up the mm-hmm. river, like the square footage. It's kind of insane. And like, it's just like that and then you know it's going everywhere in the u.s from there it's just like you can see the artery of commerce and you hit like new orleans and it's like a huge Mm -hmm. historical thing there and you get to the keys and you find like i mean i remember passing like a boat that had come over like it was abandoned like makeshift boat from cuba and refugees like it's just really cool all this the history mixed in with the i find that the water really has that a lot to it yeah, like I grew up, I think about 10 miles straight line from Mississippi River. You actually, pro- I, I don't know if you're going to remember the town, but the town closest to me on the river is Chester, Illinois. You probably Vaguely, don't remember yeah. it. It's very, it's very small. But um, so, so I've been kind of close to the river. Like we lived up on the bluffs. Does Chester so have an ice cream place called Whitey's? Or is there another place in Illinois that has ice cream? I don't know. I feel I'm like there was, it, might, it might not be in Illinois. But Chest, I, but. If it was in Chester, it wouldn't have been close to the river. So like <laughs> Chester's up on the bluffs. So yeah, you would, it would have been a high sense. I'm trying to, I don't remember it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. <laughs> um, well, Chester must uh, have survived some flooding then if it's on the bluffs. <laughs> yeah. So Moline. Moline, oh Kyle's, Kyle's looking it up. <laughs> I can't leave it I, I can't let something like that go. I only have ice cream places. <laughs> I can't long distance hiking. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but but yeah, you, you mentioned the flooding, and I I recently learned about this. I think this summer from TikTok or so. I think somebody was doing the um, like source to sea route, so they were the source mm-hmm. of the Mississippi down to the down to the gulf of mexico and he was talking about how roughly below st louis all the cities aren't on the river anymore and it's mm-hmm. and according to him it was because at st louis where you have the missouri river meeting the mississippi like the volume of water goes up so much and you get so much more flooding that over time all the the cities that were close to the river just got destroyed. So they moved them yeah. away over time. And it, I was like, I had lived next to the river for like the first 18 years of my life. And I was like, I had no idea about this, but it makes like a hundred percent sense. That makes sense. Also above, um, 
above St. Louis, you have the, the lock and dam system too. So the mm-hmm. flooding is mm-hmm. a lot more controlled, even if it, it, obviously the Missouri river coming in does bring a lot more water too. So it's like more mm-hmm. chaotic downstream anyway, but, the, but above St. Louis, the lock and dams at least have some flood prevention to them. So you, so you mentioned the lock and dams. How do you navigate those when you're on a kayak? You literally, this is wild, but you literally, I had a little C radio and you call mm-hmm. them on their channel and you say, hey, can I lock down? And if there's no, like you're like the last priority, but they'll fill a whole lock. They'll let, they'll lock you down just like any other boat. It doesn't <laughs> cost cool. any money. It's just like, whatever they, they do for any, like if a barge is coming, they'll do the barge first and you'll have to go mm-hmm. second. But like usually if there was a barge or there was traffic, I would just portage around it because it was faster than waiting for them to mm-hmm. lock down. But yeah, they'll lock you down. It's it's kind of a wild experience because you're in this gigantic pool that's made to hold a super Walmart <laughs> of a barge. Yeah. And you're just like floating around. Some of them are like nonchalant. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, just float, do whatever. Some of them like, hey, hold on to this rope or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty neat. That's wild. Is really interesting. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 So I guess, uh, what was the wildest thing? Like the craziest thing that happened on that trip? I'm just trying to, <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around all the, all the stuff that. Oh, that's could a, have happened. it's a really hard, I mean, wild comes in a lot of flavors. Like, <laughs> Like <laughs> it's not vanilla though. <laughs> like I was randomly like I think you know, like one like a great wild thing was that I was like randomly on like this radio program somewhere and when I was in Minnesota and this woman in Memphis heard it and she's like, Hey, you're gonna come down to Mississippi when you get here, come stay with us. And like I ended up <laughs> being there during Thanksgiving and like I ended up having this Thanksgiving with this like wonderful family who had just heard wow. me on the radio like Three or, three or four months earlier and like <laughs> her and her son and her her husband and their two dogs and they I, it was just the cutest thing and like we've kept in touch ever since then like i, I remember their kid was like 12 at the time he went to he now he's in college he was <laughs> he sent me a picture of him celebrating lsu's championship a few years ago nice like it's just wild <laughs> like these connections that's like a great wild thing i think the um like I don't know for probably the most the craziest thing that happened to me was at the very end on the way to Key West when I got to Key West like Key West claims to be the southernmost point but it's actually not if you look on a map there a the southernmost point in Key West isn't even the southernmost point of Key West yeah the southernmost point is part of a military base so they don't let you go there and then (laughs) b there's another island off of Key West it's like about 10 miles away and then a little south but it's a private island it's privately owned so like technically you're not supposed to go there like you can't set foot on the dry land but i was like i didn't kayak down here to not go to the southernmost point so (laughs) i didn't kayak like thousands of miles to end up 10 miles short so i i kayaked out to this island and at the very southern end of it there's a house and Technically, the law, I looked this up because I'm a lawyer, I believe the law in Florida is that like up to the high water line is public property. Mm. So I was standing in the water, like about, you know, in like a foot of water. Because I was like, well, this is public property. I can stand here. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was like 
excited because I had finally made it down to the southern tip. And then this guy comes out onto the porch. I feel like he was either he either had like a robe that was open with just some like boxer shorts, or he had no shirt on. I, I forget, but he, but the important thing is he had a shotgun. <laughs> and he was like, "What the hell?" He was like, "Like, what are you doing out here? Like, this is private property." <laughs> of course, we're in the middle of nowhere, and I was like. I was, I was super excited. I was like, I just kayaked here from Minnesota. Don't worry, I'm not coming online. He's like, whatever, dude. Just go away. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a pretty wild. I'm glad that he didn't shoot me, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure he didn't want to be told the 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 letter of the law it's like no i'm not at the high water yeah he was not interested in (laughs) in my legal analysis of where his land ended Um, whenever you buy an island i don't think you're a people person yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) yeah it was too funny oh here's another good one another wild one was in when i went through new york um like the harbor it was New York Harbor is like insane with the tides because you have tides coming in from like around Manhattan and and then the Hudson River is coming down. So like the currents are insane in that area and they're like the timing of them is really weird. And it doesn't matter if you have a motor, but it matters a lot if you're paddling. And then the day I was there, it was also super windy and there's like tons of boat traffic. Like you got like ferries coming by, Staten Island Ferry, ferries like going around Manhattan. Every, it's like insane amounts of traffic and so like i felt like that was the most the closest i came to dying was in there because the waves were so high that day that like i felt like i wasn't very visible and then you have like Mm. these big ferry boats that are going through their channels and the last so i kept like staying really close to shore to kind of avoid traffic and then but eventually you have to cross like some channels that are open water and i was like trying to cross to the tip of manhattan and like I'm paddling and paddling, but the wind is so fierce that I'm really not moving. I'm like a foot every stroke, like a very slow oh. forward movement because you got the current and the wind coming at you. Um, and <laughs> I'm like halfway across, and I look behind me, and like the Staten Island ferries coming. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die! Like, <laughs> and then this police boat comes in and like escorts me. Like they just they don't say anything they just like turn on their lights or whatever and just kind of wait near me and until i get to the tip of the manhattan <laughs> island and just to make sure that like no one hit me um yeah. but then this gets better like i'm paddling i'm like super excited like i just i'm in new york i'm taking pictures from the water and like i, I you know waving to everybody um who's like walking by and i'm you know paddling up the 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 hudson river and then if like Maybe an hour later, um, the same police boat comes by with their lights on and they pull me over. I mean, as much as you can pull someone over in a kayak, but they pull me over, <laughs> stop me. And they they start interrogating me because they think that they said that they had had some reports of someone taking a lot of pictures and like it might be a terrorist. Because this is like, because you're near like the 9-11 kind of area, like the nine, mm-hmm. you know, the Twin Towers area and everything like that. And so they started like really asking me like, what are you doing? Why are you taking so many pictures? I'm like, I, I'm taking, what do you mean? I'm taking pictures. I just kayaked here from Key West. Like, <laughs> of course I'm going to take pictures. And I ended up showing, I like took out my camera. I showed them pictures like going all the way back to Key West. And eventually they were like, okay, 
Okay. I think you're not a terrorist. Yeah. I think you're fine. <laughs> they, they, had to, they had to call in, like, their supervisor came down and asked me questions. They asked me, like, they kept asking me the same, you know, different people would ask me the same questions. Mm. Like, where did you come from? Wow. <laughs> How but, long yeah. ago? <laughs> yeah. It was funny because I was staying that night with a friend of mine who works for the ACLU in, uh, and she was like, why'd you answer any questions? <laughs> you shouldn't have let them. That was a ridiculous stop. They should never have gotten away. <laughs> and I was like, well, I was, you know, didn't want to have to call you and come get me out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> <something>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. But she, yeah, wow. she, made a, she made a good point. I think next time I would be less inclined to answer as many questions just because... I don't know. I feel like uh, I'm a, at least, at least, you know, you got to draw limits and how much you're not going to um, kind of stick up for your rights. And like, especially as like a white man who like, I'm not worried about the police actually like doing much to yeah. me in the end. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to like, not just give into the idea of like, well, if I'm not doing anything, I'll just cooperate fully <laughs> even if it's an unreasonable search i mean they were like looking at my kayak and everything but yeah anyway <laughs> that was a fun fun moment for sure yeah that's wild yeah so i guess how you mentioned currents how big a you said they were really bad around new york i don't think i've ever like paddled up a river i've always paddled like down. yeah Paddling up a river is tough. You got to stick kind of on the edges where, because the edge is where the current is the, the weakest. Um, I avoided, you know, as much of upstream travel as possible, but the Hudson River was definitely one. The Hudson is really interesting because I think for the, like a hundred miles up it, it's still tidal dependent. So sometimes if oh, okay. like every six hours it's flowing upstream, like basically. So if you time it right, you can continuously go with the current, even if you're going upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of did that when I was on the Hudson, I would like stop when it's going the wrong way and go when it's going the right way. Smart. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's brutal. Like when the current or the wind and the waves are against you, I mean, you can go backwards sometimes. <laughs> it's like not even forget going forwards. You're actually going backwards, which is very tough. So sometimes you just have to call it a day and find a beach to stand on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. I'm trying to think of any other kayaking related questions. Do you have anything, Kyle? As always, I kind of take over the conversation. No, you're good. Uh, I was thinking, I was looking at the outline and I was like, oh, are we going to get to the, uh, you know, northernmost point to southernmost point in Europe? But I think that's sure. a, that's for another episode. We can. That's, that's got to be a story in itself, seeing how the uh, <laughs> kayaking trip went. I will say this about uh, any hikers. Like one of the biggest difference I found with the kayaking is two, a couple of things from hiking is that when you have a kayak people don't confuse you for like a homeless person on a trail or something like that and like they're much more interactive like people are mm-hmm. always asking always asking me questions like what do you do like because i you know the kayak clearly like was like equipped for like something long distance mm-hmm. um so you get like a lot more interaction with people a lot more like friendliness 
Um, and mm-hmm. that's not to say that my experience on long distance hiking trails, I've met tons of friendly, very friendly people, but um, for people who don't know about the trail, I think a lot of times you come off as like, some, like a homeless person or something, then they don't want to interact with you. They don't want to uh, talk to you. They don't want to really, <laughs> they want to avoid you. Um, but on the kayak, it was completely different in that regard. But at the same time, kayaks are like a boat also makes it very difficult to resupply and stuff like that because you can't like take a kayak into a grocery store (laughs) like you can your backpack so you basically have to find like a safe place to leave like all your world basically Um, and that was always probably the most stressful difference um, which was like all right how do i get a resupply with this kayak Um, yeah and and when you got when you got and when you got far south like there's nothing close to the river. Like when you get yeah. to Mississippi, Louisiana, yeah. like it's miles before you get to Yeah, you basically have to like hide it somewhere and then walk into yeah. town and <laughs> yeah. pray that it's there when you get back. Oh, man. Uh, would, yeah, that would, yeah. I'd be freaking out the whole time. <laughs> I yeah, I stress out that. just stashing my pack, you know, to yeah. go get a toilet somewhere or something like that. You know, like what am I going to come back to? Yeah. Let alone everything for multiple hours (laughs) that your trip is done. If you don't come back and like, boat's gone. (laughs) I guess I'm going to walk it. (laughs) I met a guy who had lost his canoe. He was, I think, paddling from source to sea on the Mississippi and someone had stolen his canoe. And that was it. The trip was over. I I felt (laughs) terrible for him. I mean, what a what a way to end a trip yeah luckily that never happened but it was always a concern yeah i guess that's another thing so you're on the mississippi or any larger river you're kind of sharing the river with those super walmart sized barges how's that how's that in a kayak that pales in comparison with size i mean it's it's intimidating uh you just got to assume that they don't know you're there even if they do know you're there, they can't really do anything about it. Like yeah. they have to stop like 20 minutes before they have to stop. Right. Like, mm-hmm. They have to yeah. think about stopping yeah. or turning or whatever, like way before they're going to be. Able to. So you pretty much uh, have to make sure that you're not in their way ever. Um, Cause there's nothing they can do. Um, and, but luckily there's like a channel that those guys are in. So as long as you are outside that channel, you know, you're good. With, at least with them. Okay. Um, and other motorboats are usually pretty much watching out. So they're not as, okay. you know, they, they can't run over things as liberally as a barge. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, those, yeah, those barges, you know, you have to be careful, especially a couple of times I was paddling at night and you might have to cross the river. You got to really look and think. Oh, right? Yeah, to make sure you can. Especially at night because the distances are a little bit difficult to judge sometimes with the lights. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're uh, they're big. I always felt like in the kayak, I always figured that like I always assumed no one saw me and assumed that everyone would just run me over. So <laughs> you just yeah. if you take that assumption yeah. in, that's you a, just play it very cautious. So I was usually mm-hmm. right near the shore, you know, where it's diff- like, they can't go that close to shore. So mm-hmm. you basically use that to protect you. Okay. And then in some so, areas, you have to cross open water, but that's you just. You know, it's kind of like crossing a road. You just 
look both ways, wait for your turn, go <laughs> fast. Yeah. As you said below, you're the lowest priority. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> you really are. Although they were, I mean, you know, some like going through New Orleans, yeah, it's a it's a much heavier activity area because they have oh, yeah. sea sea ships coming in, and then the the barges are there too. And like, there was a few barge guys that were like working on a barge that I went past, and they like talked to me for a little bit, and then they called in because they didn't even ask me, but they I heard them on the radio calling and say, "Hey, everybody, you know, like look out for this guy in a oh, kayak. Awesome. You know, like watch out for him. He's coming this way. He'll be, you know, this is where he's at. This is how fast he's moving. So like, they also watch out for you. But like, as I said. They can't turn or stop very yeah. easily. It's like a train. It's even worse than a train. So even if they know you're there, you, you have the responsibility to get out of their way. So on the more natural side of hazards, um, did you have to deal with any flooding or anything like that while you were in some of the bigger rivers? <laughs> there was some. Uh, there was, I mean, not flooding isn't too bad of a problem when you're in a boat, as long as it's not making okay. the rivers like too fast. Mm-hmm. Um the only time I remember it was in when I was the, the headed towards Montreal from New York. One of the rivers had flooded to the point where it was like really hard to find a place to camp. So mm-hmm. I ended up having to string a hammock up in like a foot of water, <laughs> <laughs> just camping <laughs> in the hammock um, between two trees, which is kind of a fun way to camp for one night. But yeah, it made me super one paranoid minute. about dropping it. <laughs> yeah, because you yeah. feel like you're going to drop something and it's gone forever. Um, <laughs> But yeah, other than that, it was pretty good. Um, yeah, no flooding. The Tampa Bay, where I almost flipped, was probably the worst waves that in New York, one or the other. But um, the Tampa Bay one was funny because like Tampa Bay is like one of those open water stretches where you have to cross it. So there's nothing you can mm-hmm. do about it unless you want to go way inland. I just didn't want to do that. So I get out into the bay and it's like very windy and the waves are getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, man, this is tough. And I look around and it's just like me and this gigantic freighter that's coming in from the ocean. And we're the only two boats out in the bay. And I was like, maybe I should have thought about this. Yeah, maybe I should have. <laughs> like, there's a reason why the only other boat here is like a sea ship that <laughs> goes around the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was one wave that almost flipped me. Like I was halfway flipped and uh, somehow I got myself righted but that was the closest I came. And yeah, it was scary. When I got to land, I was yeah. just like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for getting me here. <laughs> I like, was so grateful that my boat had, had managed it. <laughs> um, I wasn't too worried about myself because the water was not that cold, but I don't know if I would have been able to like, hold on to the boat or what, or if I would have been able to get back in yeah. it because it was pretty rough seas, but would have been a different kind of adventure from there <laughs> maybe walking to Key West from that point oh, at least you would have been in florida that's yeah florida. <laughs> it's close to home so not too bad yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else that like would freak me out doing this so yeah like <laughs> Like I think it was probably like a year or two ago. I like put together a list of like my, I don't know. I would call it a bucket list or just like trails I want to do and things. And at the very end of the list, I like 
put wrote down the source to see kayaking route right after i was like do i actually want to do this because <laughs> like, i'm just kind of airing all of these like things that would freak me out about doing that thing because yeah it's still on the list but i don't i'm still not convinced i want to do it but you're helping <laughs> you're taking away some <laughs> of think, my fears you know the source to see the Mississippi is, I think, an interesting river, especially since you grew up near it. I think it would yeah. be an interesting thing to to do. Um, I I will tell you, it's not like the prettiest part of the trail or the trip by yeah. any means. Mm-hmm. Um, there is pretty in places, but like a lot of times, you're just on a gigantic river that is, feels yeah. a little bit like a lake. Um, <laughs> but like, there's, I do think that there's some really neat long paddling trips like the boundary waters you could do the whole border route through the boundary waters Mm -hmm. and that would take you i don't know how long that would take but uh, you know a week or two it -hmm. could easily be like a great route i met a guy who had circumnavigated lake superior and i I went on probably like half of lake superior by the end of the trip but that would Mm -hmm. be a gorgeous trip too yeah Um, yeah dangerous trip but yeah yeah dangerous yeah. although if you have like the right equipment like which i did not have like a dry suit but if you have a dry suit yeah and you really know what you're doing it's not like that dangerous not to change gears too much but to get in back into kind of why we started this podcast and uh you know one thing that's unique to you is that your father immigrated from cuba and yeah you know be interesting to hear how that has or if it has affected, you know, your outdoor experiences in any way. Yeah, it's interesting because my dad is like the only person in his family, all my Cuban relatives that I know of that goes outdoors. <laughs> like the rest of them are very much not <laughs> outdoorsy people. I think, I don't think any of them have ever camped before in their lives. I think that's a true statement. If I, if I, wow. yeah. I would guess. Um, so I'm so your dad's my, like my the dad, black sheep. <laughs> yeah, he really is. And I'm not exactly <laughs> sure why he became that way. Um, I know he, you know, he liked, he always loved his, like, his like uncle in Cuba had like a, a farm of some sort that he used to love to like be like with the animals and like play around. And so maybe that's part of it. Um, but I do think that uh, it's a, it's interesting because Cause he, yeah, you don't like sometimes there is some like something about that. that like a lot of Cubans do not ever go outside. <laughs> They're very much into <laughs> staying inside with AC. At least the Cubans that came to the U.S. Um, that I know. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I think you know the outdoors and like, I mean. It's a podcast, so you're not seeing me, but I look like a white dude. So it's not like I, I feel like a minority when I'm outdoors. But I do think that it's it's a, it's it can be a tough place for minorities just because, or as POD would say, minoritized people. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, yeah, but we all make mistakes. We just try and do yeah. a better job the next time. That's right. Um, but like, it's it can be very tough because you you don't see people like you you may not feel comfortable in those areas i mean i think about the mississippi river in the south like the first i remember seeing the first uh rebel flag like in missouri i think and it's like you're gonna get like that it it disappoints me but it threatens you know other other people like that's a it's a it's a reminder that your life is 
much less valued by a lot of people down there. Mm-hmm. Um, same on the Appalachian Trail, same on any trail in the U.S. I mean, let's not pretend like racism only exists in the South. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it, it, I think it is important. I, and I wish I had a better grasp of how, like, not just immigrants, but any minoritized people, like, how to make the outdoor spaces more welcoming and just available. I mean, I think, you know, part of it is like solving racism itself, which is impossible to, to like wrap your mind around because so much of it is derived from that, right? Like the reason why some people are scared to go out into the woods is because they don't want to be alone with people who might hurt them. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my dad also is very much looks like a white man. So, I mean, he's he doesn't face that kind of scrutiny when he goes outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's important to realize that, like, and I think some out, outdoor companies and stuff are doing a good job of that. It's like everyone loves the outdoors. Like, not just, it's not yeah. just <laughs> white men. <laughs> like us. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. Like, uh, I was in uh iran like my wife's iranian and we were i visited her family for last first time last summer and we went hiking on this mountain and like iranians love hiking like they love the outdoors and you don't think about that because like in the u.s you think iranians are a certain thing like you just kind of box Mm -hmm. them in and i'm not saying you guys i'm just saying u.s people in general Um, the stereotypes that are yeah the stereotypes right but like this mountain we went to this mountain called damavan which is like a very famous mountain in iran it's like the biggest volcano in asia it's um it's iran's tallest mountain it's like a sacred kind of mountain it has a lot of um, mythical legends around it and um but like it was so cool i mean you just like it, it, it it's it's neat to see to be in a different place and see like okay like the outdoors that we see in the U.S., which is usually very much a stereotypical way, is completely upended in other places. And I think, I don't know, just I, I've been trying to think about that and like kind of how to, because I think a lot of it is like representation really does matter. Like you have to see people who look like you to feel like you're you're yes. you're uh, you have a place or you can be. I mean, and it's not to say there's not ever a first person. Like, you know, of course you can do stuff that someone who looks like you hasn't done before. That happens all the time. But, like, it takes a lot of effort to do that. It takes a lot of courage mm-hmm. to do that. And and that's, like, we shouldn't be having to ask that of everybody. Um, but anyway, that's a long, a long story to say that, like, I don't <laughs> personally feel that way. Like, I don't personally suffer from, from that. Um, that uh, barrier as much as most people, most uh, minoritized people, I'm, I'm, I barely am a minority, I think, uh, other than my last name. I mean, I don't, I barely speak Spanish. So I, I, I don't count, I guess, in that, in that sense, <laughs> oh. um, in terms of like facing that kind of, of difficulty mm-hmm. when I go outside. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's uh, something I think we can all like work on, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Make sure that we're welcoming to people. Make sure that we invite our friends um, who don't necessarily look like us to do outdoorsy things. Get them into it. It, yeah. only, it really just takes like uh, 
you know, a couple good experiences and people get into this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Sorry yeah. for that long ramble. No, <laughs> no, <we're not>. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was great. And you kind of hit on a lot of the things that and they keep coming up over and over again as we do this. Like you mentioned that seeing someone that looks like you out there, like represent, you're, you're being represented when you're out there. That's a huge thing and it yeah. just makes it so much easier and that's come up multiple times and yeah it does i mean it's clear yeah yeah my i mean my wife is an academic and like it's the same thing there right like a student will look at their professors and if they all they see is a certain look <laughs> that's what a professor is they don't ever think they can be a professor but they can. Yeah. I mean, it's just a lot harder. It's harder to break yeah. through that barrier. Yeah. Kyle and I know a lot about that. So we both went to grad school and it's, it's, there's a certain type of person that is the vast majority of a lot of professors, at least in the U.S. Trev, you want to bring this home? Yeah, <laughs> so let's bring it home before and... I start another, another <laughs> podcast before I get all fired up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, first of all, uh, Daniel Triple O, thanks for coming on. This has been a great conversation, and oh, yeah, maybe absolutely. maybe I want to do more of a, a longer paddling trip now for sure. Yeah, yeah. my well, is at least peaked, at least peaked, and some of my fears have been assuaded a little bit. We can put the boundary waters <laughs> but, uh, on the oh, uh, yeah annual put group the boundary trip. waters on your list. They're a great first yeah, paddling trip. It is it is on my list for sure. But okay, Stunning so we're gonna place. do my. We're going to do my normal my normal questions. And you might have already covered this because we've had a lot of scary experiences. But sure, sure. Uh, what is your biggest outdoor mistake? It's my favorite question. <laughs> my, my biggest outdoor mistake is is almost, I, I would say for sure. Um, so after the Appalachian Trail, I'm like thinking I'm invincible because I just hiked the Appalachian Trail. I know everything about hiking. I know everything about the outdoors. <laughs> And I decided I'm going to go hike the long trail during like a week long break in law school. And it's like Ooh, way week. too late in the season. And um, I get out there with my super ultra light equipment and get, immediately get snowed upon and get like oh. snowed to the point where like I'm like freezing to death and like the snow is building up. I'm losing sight of the trail. I like, I'm like struggling, just trying to get to this nearest shelter. I really think I might die. <laughs> I luckily I do get to the nearest shelter, and I'm able to like crawl into my sleeping bag and just start like heating water, boiling water, heating water, and drinking it, boiling water. And finally, like I feel like I'm like alive again. Um, and I have to call my law school roommate and tell him to come back. He had just like driven like I don't know oh. three or four hours to drop me off. <laughs> like, can you come back? <laughs> Because tomorrow, as soon as the sun comes up, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> it was very humbling. Um, you know, because you really do you think you know everything coming off of like a big trail like the Appalachian Trail. And you actually know very little. And um, I think that's my biggest mistake is kind of overestimating myself um, in terms of that. So I think it's always a good idea to be humble outdoors and mm -hmm. realize that like, things can go south very fast 
and you always want to put as many mistakes away between you and death as possible. So mm-hmm. <laughs> make sure you keep it at least a couple <laughs> mistakes. Because <laughs> on that one, I felt like I was like one or two mistakes away from dying. <laughs> well, at least you had the wherewithal to say, I screwed up. I got to get out of here. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And no, yeah, that's a good point. Like, no one to, to, to walk away, right? <laughs> no one, no one, to, no one to pull right. that and pull the parachute and yep. get out. Yeah. You have to. You have to. All right. Yeah. My, my other question this is like, I use it as a catch all, but like, is there a question that we should have asked you that we just missed it? Because. <sighs> mm. Let me think. That's a good one. I I saw this in the trail in the notes, and I was trying to think if there would be a good one. Um, I will say this: um, the the kayaking trip was interesting, and in one of the ways I found it most interesting was it was the first uh, long trip where I really got to see the effects of like environmental harms very close, right? Because if you think about mountaintops, everything flows down from the mountain. Nothing flows to the mountain versus like rivers and lakes. Everything's flowing into them. So like all all the sins of the world, right? Like all the pollution, (laughs) all the like everything that's happening, the trash that gets thrown away, everything is flowing into the rivers. So like you end up seeing a lot more. Like you go on that trip, I went through like um, Cancer Alley, which is like the Mississippi mm-hmm. River, basically north of New Orleans, right? Because there's so many plants and things there uh, that like the rate of cancer in that area is like astronomical compared to the average in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw like, you know, some oil that was like like chunks that were from the Deepwater Horizon spilled in the Gulf when I was mm-hmm. paddling because it had been like a year I think. Um, and then, but on that trip, I also ended up like talking to and working with some environmental organizations. And like one of the things that they told me that always stuck with me about it was as I was paddling the Gulf Coast, it's gorgeous. Like the Gulf of Mexico is gorgeous. It's got these beautiful mm-hmm. sand islands, like barrier islands. And you go through different states and like you, like Louisiana, then Mississippi, then Alabama. And you, as soon as you cross the border into Alabama, all of a sudden you see oil rigs like everywhere in the water, mm-hmm. right? Because, and then as soon as you leave Alabama, they're gone again. It's because like in Alabama, in the state waters of Alabama, they passed a law that said you can build oil rigs in, in our state waters, which is, I think, the first, I don't know, six to 10 miles of shore. Something I don't know. like that. Yeah. Something that like true. that. Um, and so you see, it's like a dramatic line, like no oil rigs, lots of oil rigs. And every beach in Alabama, you can't look out and see. I mean, you can see the ocean, but you also see a bunch of oil rigs. It's not like the most appetizing place to be. Um, <laughs> and, and and I talked to this guy who worked for um, an organization that works along the Gulf Coast. Gulf, I think it's Gulf Restoration Network. Um I'm sorry, I'm forgetting their name. But he was saying, you know, the thing is, like, environmental issues, like, especially some of them, like, environmental protection issues, you can only, you only, the, the other side can continuously come at it. Like, they've been trying to pass in Mississippi a lot to allow them to to um, 
put oil rigs in the state waters of Mississippi, like all the time, like every couple of years, they come back trying to make mm -hmm. a legislative effort to do this and they, they lose and then they come back. And he said, but you can only like, when you're trying to protect the environment, sometimes you only get to lose one time, right? Like Alabama lost that fight one time and now they have oil rigs and they're not going away maybe mm -hmm. ever. Um, so it, it just drove home to me, that trip really drove home to me just how important um, it is to like fight for these places that we love. Cause there's not like a whole lot of them in the world. Yeah. Like we gotta really like protect the, the pieces that are still there. Um, and and so that, that was something that I really thought about a lot on that trip. I mean, you go from like Lake Superior where it's the biggest, like one of the biggest freshwater lakes in the world um has like some astronomical percentage of the fresh water in the whole world <laughs> like for a single lake where you can literally like take a cup dip it in the water and drink it like no problem like that lake is mm -hmm. as clean as can be in most places there's a few places where it's a little iffy but most places you go from that you go into cancer alley you go to like the hudson river which is being like slowly restored but like still it's like a Slow. lot of pollution um and it just shows you like there's certain places where we've managed to like make sure that we don't destroy the environment. And there's others where we've let it go and you might never get those places back. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you're ever going to get cancer out. It would be like yeah. a place where the Mississippi is like swimmable or something. Yeah. Or if you do, it's going to take a long, long time. A very long time. Very long time. Yeah. So yeah. Protect the places you love. No, that's great. You might yeah. only get to lose once. Yeah. That was a really good question we should have asked you about. So that was great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Schools uh, again. Yeah. 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 For sure. I don't mean to evangelic. I don't mean to like give speeches about this, but um no, yeah, it's like it's what important. you do. It's like what your job's yeah. about too. So well, yeah, no, that's good. Is, so you obviously true, have yeah. passion. It's more like an obligation, honestly. Oh, it feels like okay. an obligation because I've gotten so much out of the outdoors. Like I've gotten mm -hmm. so much enrichment and my life has been improved like dramatically by the, the experiences that I had outside. And I feel an obligation to help protect it, at least in some way. I can't protect mm -hmm. everything, but I can do like a little part. And honestly, it's just, if it's, it's kind of like, uh, and, it's kind of like a long trail, right? Like you can do your little part, like you can mm -hmm. take your little steps every day and then the <laughs> next day someone else will do their little part and you'll take, you know, eventually you can yeah. get there. Um, but yeah, all that said, like environmental protection also needs more than just like individual effort. <laughs> it needs mm -hmm. like systemic <laughs> regulatory change, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So yeah, once again, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, do you have anything to plug? Um, I mean, I have an Instagram. You're welcome to follow it, uh, Predictably Lost. Um, I also have a, a website where if you want to read about this kayaking trip, it's not, I don't, I'm not going on any adventures recently, so it's pretty much dormant. <laughs> but all the posts from that trip, I, I blogged a lot about that trip, a lot about Europe, north to south um predictably lost.com um so yeah lots of stories on there and if anyone ever has you know questions or needs help 
getting outdoors or wants to know more about a specific area, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk to you and give you my thoughts about, you know, hey, I want to kayak this or I want to hike this that you've done anytime, anytime. Like so many people helped me get outside, answered my questions. I'm always, always going to be available to help other people. Awesome. And of course, people can check out the trail show too. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Oh, thanks. They're gonna harass me. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. It's still gonna happen. (laughs) Yeah, I'm already, I'm already in trouble on that. Uh, Yeah, you cannot listen to the trail show. (laughs) We we love everyone who doesn't listen to the trail show. So that's right. That that podcast that's had over a million views, but no one listens to it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, now for all my my housekeeping stuff. Yeah, uh, the best way to show us some love is to rate us five stars. On, I mean, Apple's the the one that gets the most uh, traction, but I think you can rate on Spotify now. Maybe I think that's a thing. Um, but yeah, you can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Mere Mortal Pod. Uh, we have a Discord if you if that's your thing. The link for that's in the show notes. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Trevor Bowman. Um, see a couple pictures of my Rivian on there. Um, yeah, it'll make you excited. Yeah, it makes you excited <laughs> about some EVs. Want to get some EVs? <laughs> um, Kyle has still has no social media presence, so just wave at people that look like Kyle in Central PA. <laughs> oh, and I forgot. Uh, if you you can also reach out to the podcast over email. We have one of those. It's at adventuringformeremortals at gmail.com. But yeah, that's all of my stuff. So I guess, yeah, until next month, Triple O, thanks for, thanks for coming on again. And uh, we'll see everybody next month. Talk to you all later. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a blast.